0: Good morning Vietnam! This is not a test, this is rock and roll! We're gonna rock it from the Delta to the DMZ! (laughs) Wrong show! Welcome, this is a Taylor's Tales podcast, this is Chris's Corner, I'm your host Chris Taylor. And as you may have not guessed it so far, this is a podcast on one of my heroes, Robin Williams the man, the myth, the legend, a rest in peace. Uh, first off, we'll just say a com- comedian who, who brought joy, laughter and a new way of thinking to the world. We're starting off with so much positivity because that man gave so much energy and charisma to everything he ever did. And, That's all we need to remember him by, by the way he changed the world and the way he did things that were unpopular, unliked, disliked, and just strange and weird to other people. And yet he just came out with so much energy and so much love for the world. And, you know, it's hard to not love Robin Williams from, from the day one. And I want to spend today's podcast going through some of my personal favorite Films that he's done, just a an accolade of absolute madness and beauty in his collection of uh, performances that he's done. And so, one of the first ones, as you guys have guessed from the <laughs> the intro to, to the podcast, is "Good Morning Vietnam." Now, Robin had been in *Mork and Mindy* from day one. He'd been in some of just like quite a few TV shows. He'd like gone into different like smaller tv shows from the start i think morgan mindy was like a side uh, tv show to the uh, i think he did like a guest um appearance on a family show sitcom of some type that i can't remember off the top of my head i'll have to pop it in the left here or look it up on imdb or something along those lines for those who are listening the idea behind this was that robin gave such a performance that they gave him his own show basically and in his free time while filming Morgan Mindy he was like doing com- stand-up comedy he was he'd just come out of Juilliard he, he'd done so much up to this point uh, and he would continue to be hilarious in basically every aspect of his life he gave so much and we'll, we'll always remember but back to so Good Morning Vietnam was his first like serious role they saw as him playing adrian cronar the radio host dj uh, in vietnam and when i went to vietnam and i i I saw some of like the the architecture and and some of the shots that were made and it was filmed in thailand and you know i just made a massive contradiction there but (laughs) that's the show's about um the main thing that i recognized was the beauty in how I can't remember the director's name but he he had these beautiful natural shots of people walking through uh, Thailand and having the Vietnamese like just being natural and, and portraying the the times but the main thing about sort of Robin's performance was the just amazing improvisations that he did one of the things that he said, I think one of the lines at the end of the movie was like, this would not look good on my resume. I'm a friend who's a VC. Uh, and like <laughs> the, the the characters who referring to was his best friend at the time, this um, Vietnamese fighter who turned out to be like the leader. You know, spoilers for those who haven't seen any of the movies I'm about to go through. Uh, I am going to be spoiling some of them and giving some of the quotes and trivia behind the films that Robin was in but it was it was a beautiful performance because it was even though he was playing Adrian Cronauer it was Robin being Robin he was improvising he was giving one-liners I think my one of my favorite uh lines that Robin did in that film was yeah, there's never been a more need of a white man in history who's needed a blowjob <laughs> was so good and the fact that i think he came up with that like just ad-libbed just bang just like straight there and the fact that the actor opposing him kept a straight face and just carried on going just comedy gold just genius and some of the other more serious characters like the Lieutenant in the film, who who thought he was a comedian and would say, This isn't comedy, like you're not doing this, that, the other, really thought into it. I thought it was brilliant. This juxtaposition of Robin, who's just pure, uh, you know, Adrian Cronauer's just constant joke, 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 joke in like the environment around him or picking up on sentences and breaking them down. And then this cold, calculated guy who's just like, you know, make joke, <laughs> singing, <laughs> doing one to the other. Ah, this guy's doing this. I shall give, do this. Brilliant. And then you've got some absolutely just there's smaller roles in this and smaller th- details in that film that are just brilliant in their own right. But the the film itself, I wouldn't say it's like. It's, it's mid-level for Robin's performances. I think it's brilliant, brilliant starter film. But anyway, that's opinion. That's opinion rather than what we're about here. The idea was that great start for Robin. Good morning, Vietnam was just uh, a great way for him to start his career. And that was in 1987. Jeez, man, that's crazy. 1987 and he had Good Morning Vietnam to start. Yeah. That, that quote I said earlier, you are in more need of a blowjob than any white man in history. Just salute you, my friend. That's so good. It's so funny. Moving on to another killer film that Robin was was in at the time. He went in, went from Good Morning Vietnam and in 1989, he went and did Dead Poets Society. I, you know, when when I think of that film, like the... Out of all of the films that he's done dead poet society is like it's just it's so different it's a teacher's role he plays many different characters in his career and they are all over the place and I, when i look at dead poet society it's like it's it's almost like robin portrays the person that he wants to be this idea of like ah uh, the guy who I would look up to if I was a teacher, like the person who I would have looked up to and, and wanted advice from growing up. And Robin like talked about in his documentary his like, want and need when he was younger to make other people laugh and, and to be silly and do things to be able to... Because he was alone a lot for his childhood. He said he was overweight. And so I look at the Dead Poet Society character that he plays he it just sort of embodies the teacher that we all want to see you know carpe diem live for today boys when you're that age that's all you want to hear live for now don't think about the you know live and suck the marrow out of life it's something that you know i i, I love that advice now even in now isn't it you know I want to say I'm an adult, but, <laughs> you know, she's 25, you know, so much more to learn. The point being is that Robin's performance in this, he just, like, he brings a way to bring the best out of people. It's a beautifully, beautifully, beautifully done. It's a really sad film in the end because of the, the loss of the, the main character, one of the main characters taking their own life and Robin reflecting on his teachings as a way to open his eyes. But the, by opening his eyes, he realizes that he doesn't want to do what his father has taught him. And so it conflicts, and by conflicting with the ideas of what Robin's character teaches him, he takes his own life because he doesn't want to go on with what his father has put him forward in his life, the, the path that he's been set forward. He wants to be an actor and he doesn't want to to go down this this rigid Road of like being a doctor or whatever it was, a lawyer that the the idea was behind that. And it's kind of a, a bittersweet film in the sense that it brings so many good ideas. It brings the best out of Ethan Hawke's character. He's a young man, he's quiet, and Robin gets him to stand up in front of the classroom by getting him to move about and cover his eyes. He's able to like get the guy to speak in front of other people and be able to, uh, I think he recites a poet, uh, poem, sorry, and get he does it in front of all the other boys in the class. And just by doing a different way of teaching, he brings the best out in Ethan Hawke's character. He's a quiet, shy boy who becomes more confident as the movie goes on. It's really intense for like your s- second major film. And you're already looking at like going from a comedian Full time. Like he's a Robin's always a comedian. Like he was always a comedian from day one to day to the day he died. But it was like that sort of film itself, he was able to perform but like portray serious characters in serious moments. And we see this more as his career goes on. That he just has this ability to go from one character to another and not even think about it at all. So yeah, I think I've got, yeah. This oh, I love this quote so I wanted to I've got some notes here on the left outside of the camera shot if you haven't noticed already obviously you have um, the a beautiful quote basically the quote means that don't follow what other people do do what you can in your heart that you know that is right, even if everyone else is telling you that it's unacceptable or it's not cool whatever you want to have, however you want to say it. But the quote is this. Now, we have a great need for acceptance, but you must trust that you that your beliefs are unique, your own, even though others may think them odd or unpopular, even though the herd may go, that's bad. <laughs> uh, Robert Frost said, two roads diverged in the wood and I took the one less traveled by. And that's made all the difference yeah i mean john keating the character that robin plays says that and it's i think i'm pretty sure that's early on in the in in the film and he's surrounded by the boys and they're he's he's like trying to get them to to be individuals basically because the school has you know, straight uniforms and ties and specific ways of doing things. And he's trying to get them to think for themselves individually. Um, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful quote and all round fantastic film. If you haven't watched it, I haven't, you know, I have made some spoilers. It's still worth watching. doesn't matter. even Even though I've spoiled a couple of things, if you haven't watched it, please do. It's genius in itself. Moving on, the Fisher King. A little bit more less, you know. It's it, there's serious moments in it, but it's a little bit more fun. Robin being a little bit silly, playing a homeless guy who'd who'd become homeless because of the main character Jack, who's played by uh, yeah Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges is awesome in Tron, Tron Legacy, in um, the Big Lebowski, in uh, oh uh, the I think it's like old. Is it old old grudges or something along those lines? It's something like that where he he they did a readaption adaption um, of the film. Uh, the guy with the eye patch on, on the horse taking the young lady across the countryside. I can't remember, but basically, he he's, Jeff Bridges is awesome. Period. And this is a fantastic performance from him and Robin together. They have fantastic chemistry. Jeff playing the straight laced guy who was like a radio DJ who um, accidentally said something live on air that basically caused robin's character to lose his wife and it's this redemption story where jeff bridges is is going out of his way to help robin stopping getting him off the streets trying to clean him up but in order to do that he's got to get the the holy grail for robin because robin believes he's a knight and robin's character perry is going around trying to find the holy grail and the holy grail just happens to be um guarded basically by this red knight the red knight being a person from the past person who happens to be the murderer of robin's wife oh and the murderer never you never see him he's just a voice basically And the Red Knight is a symbol for him. He doesn't actually exist. He's just in Perry's mind. Uh, Robin plays this. He does this beautiful PTSD reaction. So whenever you see the Red Knight, it's it's almost like he just freezes and he runs away and he hides and he has these panic attacks. And it's, you know, made in 1991. So it's really impressive to see this sort of early on, you know, people just, it, the idea behind this film was like you look at somebody who is homeless and you immediately think they've done something wrong, but the truth is sometimes people just hold on far, hard, hard times. I'm not gonna, you know, try and make myself sound any different. I, I've done that. Walk past by, and yeah, this movie to me represents the beauty in that and how you can you can really. Bring the best out of people by bringing the best out of yourself. Because what happens to Jeff Bridges' character is he goes on air, he says to this guy, the, the murderer, he says to him, Yeah, you should you should go out there and you should attack the world, basically, and get back at them. And this guy takes it literally. Cause Jeff Bridges' character is so lackadaisical He's just like, oh yeah, he won't do anything. He's just mad. He's just crazy. The guy gets a shotgun and, and kills, you know, injures Robin and and kills his wife. And it's just a you know horror story to begin with. And Jeff Bridges' career crashes and he goes on this redemption story of trying to help Robin get the Holy Grail and also win the heart of Perry's characters. Um, I can't remember her name, but I think it's, she She represents the Holy Grail's guardian, guardian guardianess, I think something on those lines. It's just beautiful idea that this homeless guy falls in love with this klutz klutz of a lady she's so funny she's just going about her life and you see robin's character just swooning after her and jeff is trying to get robin to to pursue her and then also be able to get the holy grail and yeah there's (laughs) perry says there's three things in the world that you need Respect for all kinds of life, a nice bowel movement on a regular basis and a navy blazer. And he's these lines, they're just clean, kick in. And then he's got like Jack Lucas, who Jeff Bridges plays, says to him, Did you lose your mind all at once, or was it a slow, gradual process? These you know, fun, not really like too complex line one-liners, but they're really cool, simple, and just gives gives that. The, the movie, a very '90s feel to it because it's filmed in New York, and it's got this sort of. It seemed to be in the '90s that the filmmakers would have a yellowish tinge to urban areas, and there would be like a lot of smoke, and there would be a lot of. Um, the air would never be clean. Basically, it's really interesting to, to look back on because if you look at Los Angeles as well in the '90s, it's got a very similar feel. Um, in Los Angeles, it's a lot brighter, but the, st- the smog is still there. And then in New York, it's a little bit darker, but the smog is still there. So I don't know what the, the filming process that we we're going through at the time, but they were going through that. Um, yeah, and, and Jack, yeah, Jeff's character, Jack Lucas says, I wish there was some way I could just pay the fine and go home. We all have those moments where we're just like, I wish I could just get rid of that bad moment or get rid of that. You know the the regret we have, or the 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 immediate sort of like gratification to to do something, and then you're like, oh no, I wish I just ate loads of chocolate. What am I doing? Oh no, and you just wish you could just pay the fine and go home. And it's a beautiful quote, beautifully written, and I'm gonna keep saying that word over and over again throughout this podcast, just because I think it's all amazing. And personally, it hit hit me. And I remember watching these films when I was around eight. I think I was, yeah. 17 or 18, I, I, I watched, basically went through all of Robin's catalog. Cause I got, I was a huge fan since I was like 12, 12 onwards. And I was quoting Robin Williams <laughs> at school and <laughs> never getting it right. Cause you can't retell a joke cause it's terribly done. And I still would try it anyway. Cause you know, I'm me <laughs> and that's how it goes. So made the Fisher King, love that film, fantastic and in the same year that's crazy yeah some actors have just this prolific ability to go from one movie to another and robin seems to have done quite a few of these in the night he was super prolific in the 90s and the early 2000s and just went one two three film 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 one performance after another and killing it killing it. brilliant and so he made hook in 1991 as well. And so Hook was completely different again. Robin went in for a uh, I would say this is a children's film because for me it was like, you know, to me I look at Hook and I think this is this is for kids. This isn't for adults. This is for parents and kids to watch together at a young age and just have a bit of fun and have some magic in your life and Robin brings his performance of being silly and being appealing to all audiences with that you know there's no swearing there's no um jokes that are unrelatable that offer adults it's just like silly stuff like I think one of the things he says in his insult battle with um oh, who's whose character yes with uh, Dante Bras- Brasco's character um and he's like you Root bag of shoot toot, and it's kind of it's kind of all over the places like dying from a bag of peter pan envy or something on those lines and it's just it's so silly but it's brilliant and this scene's set when they're in neverland and i sorry i haven't even described hook yet hook is if you haven't guessed about the idea of captain hook kidnapping a elder peter pan's children peter pan grows up, marries, has kids, and then Captain Hook comes back for revenge and basically kidnaps the kids, takes them off to the Neverland, and it's up to Peter to go back to Neverland and get his kids back. And in this process, he sees Tinkerbell again. He sees all of Captain Hook's old crewmates, and there's this bit where Peter has to relearn how to be Peter Pan. And has to learn how to fly and learn how to to be a kid again basically and robin knows how to do this and you'll see in a later performance we talk about uh, jack in 1996 he does it where he plays a kid it's this ability for robin to tap into his younger self and just provide that childlike energy and he cares and he shows you know he looks after the other kids where Dante Brusco's character, who's like the leader of all the kids in Neverland, he's like a little bit harsh, a little bit rough around the edges because you know they're kids; they're they're on their own, so he has to be tough because he's got fire hook. But at the same time, you know, Robin comes in; he 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 almost becomes a father figure to these kids by becoming Peter again, and it's going from this cold, calculated businessman at the beginning of the film. You know where he's he's not got a great relationship with his kids to realizing that oh damn I've I've gone from become from Peter Pan to the complete opposite to trying to find that middle ground and reconnecting with my children and and and, and defeating the the Captain Hook. I think it's like Jordan Peterson talks a lot about how in Pinocchio Pinocchio goes into the belly of the beast uh, to save his father. In this case, like the father's going into the belly of the beast to re- rescue his children and he has to reconnect with his childlike aspects to be able to to do so and it's making him whole as a person i talk about the archetypes of a hu- of of a human being and a a male in in this sense. And Robin has lost that Joker ability because he's so serious at the beginning of the the character. Steven Spielberg is a known fan of Joseph Campbell and the hero's story. So I wouldn't be surprised if in 1991, he was like, you know what? going to try and integrate that into the, into the movie. And I think after this movie, uh, Steven Spielberg, even though this wasn't a massive hit and I'm not going to try and debate that not gonna you know it's just a fun kids movie robin did it completely different to his performances again uh you know very different storyline and maybe the most the only relatable sort of movie in that sort of demographic would be jumanji maybe maybe i'm throwing a a curveball at you there but maybe not point being is uh, is that spielberg became best friends with um robin williams after this and they would call each other and on the set of making schindler's list schindler's list is so quite dark and quite depressing in areas and robin would call up the entire cast and he would start making telling them jokes over the phone to brighten their spirits basically it's just uh, you know such a full heart he did the same for all the troops he went in the Iraq war, he would visit in 2003, 2004 and do huge sets for, for the troops just to keep everyone's spirits high. The man gave so much for other people. And so it's beautiful to see in Hook where he's, he builds a relationship with Spielberg and he builds relationships with, the, with other people and, and brings them joy. So yes, 1991, opposite Julia Robertson and Dustin Hoffman, Dustin Hoffman as Hook, fantastic performance as well and i I love that he gets eaten by the the wooden crocodile at the end it's quite, and you hear the clock ticking and it's you know the 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 sort of irony behind uh hook getting eaten by the thing that he thought he'd got rid of the thought of, of the monster being defeated a beautiful sort of story with sticks yes and then the insult beautiful yeah crazy crazy moving on aladdin 1992. Now, if you don't know Robin Williams' performance in Aladdin, you don't know any of his performances. You need to go back and reset your life and go, go watch them now. (laughs) It is his best performance, in my opinion. His ability to improvise is shown in the amount of hours of improvisation Disney received from him. I think I've got it written down here. During the course of recordings of voices, Robin Williams improvised so much, they almost had 16 hours of material 16 hours that's a man who's willing to not only commit to his his job and and he he loves it he does it purely because he loves it and the 16 hours reflects that he's just going in and just doing it and just giving them content 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 week after you know and he didn't even want to be credited for the film the whole thing there was a, a souring of the relationship between 1992 and 1996 between Will, uh, Williams and uh, Disney, and basically Robin would say to them like, "You can't, you can't buy me back. You've soured this relationship because I asked you not to put my name because he got paid less than any actor should be for this role, and that's why he didn't want his name in the movie because he wanted that just the voice to be there, and that's it." He did it because of the craft he wasn't he got paid less than i think it's the actors guild allows the actors guild has a minimum pay grade and he took below that and said well if i'm going to do this then you can't have my name in the movie they put the name in the movie and therefore robin didn't speak to disney for another four years fun fact Uh, and oh, mate, that, me, myself and my dad and my sister. My dad played this for for me and my sister. We went to the local bookstore down the road from my say bookstore. I meant library. They went. We went to the local library down the road from where we used to live, and they had videotapes in, in the library and you could rent their videotapes out and one of those videotapes happened to be Aladdin. And we would replay this videotape so much over and over and over again. And I felt like we would have broken it because we loved the genie. We loved his ability to say, thousand years can give you scotch a crick in the neck. Hang on a second. What? Oh, and it was that like joy to a kid where you're like this character can do anything and do it in such a way that made everyone laugh and the animators did a brilliant job in making Robin's improvisation appear on the screen and and quite appear fluid because you know you, you, as a design as an animator you'd have to accommodate to his ability to speak and his ability to have his face react to the the animations it's just incredible and then you got quotes like yeah phenomenal cosmic powers little living space and it's just it's i'm laughing now because it's so brilliant and in 1992 no one else had done a performance like this i can't think of Anyone in those early days, even Hayao Miyazaki, who was doing Studio Ghibli films at the time and in the 80s was coming up in the industry, the, the animation voices were nowhere as, you know, Disney were controlling that area, but Disney didn't necessarily have a frontman for that voice acting sort of ability to be like, here's, here's the sort of like thing we want, go ahead and just do what you want. And Robin, Robin's definitely... Sort of reflects that in his performance, yes. And ah, oh, the last thing he says in the film is, Major Look! And it, it's just as a kid, those little like one liners and thing, little things like high fives with the carpet. What's it been like, 10 you know, that the little things like playing chess and like getting beaten by a rug and you know, calling the uh, Jafar a psychopath and all of the just all around playing with the storyline. It's almost like the storyline's happening and then the genie just happens to be the it's almost like he's a commentator to the film because he sees everything and he he yeah, he doesn't really have any control over the matter because he's the genie. He does what his master says. It's beautiful because Robin is basically just interjecting these like one liners one after another these this ability to to make everyone laugh and, and smile. It's yeah yeah you never had a friend like me what a scene um if you know if i was if i wasn't gonna get copyright striked for it I'd, i'd just play the clip like 30 second clip of it right now so you know fuck you know just chuck it i'll chuck it in there now if you haven't seen it before here's the 30 second clip never had a friend never had a friend you ain't Right, we're back. So now that you've seen the madness, the storming twirl, like tornado that is the, the genie and bringing all of it at the end and you get the nice little sign like for applause. So, so little details, little details like that, just genius. Uh, A. <laughs> Playing words. So after Aladdin, The next one, Jumanji, the original gangster, not the Jumanji that you all know, probably with Dwayne the Rock Johnson, the Jumanji of 1995, the original. Brilliant film. So much fun. Again, another kid's film, sort of like just a little bit silly. A board game comes to life. He gets uh, this, you know, Robin's character gets trapped in the board game for Uh, something like 20 years he gets out because of uh, the kids who find the board game and then it's his job to complete the game with the kids and just shenanigans happen rhinos trample across the the neighborhood monkeys jumping out the the boards lions chasing after them hunters shooting at them it's just uh, brilliant. I mean, the animation's a little bit off if you look back at it now, because of like the lion being so fake. I think it was like two guys in a lion suit. They said, and they just had that that fake lion attack the kids, and it's just it's a little bit silly. But it's it's for for its time. It is what it is, sort of thing. And so, Ron Williams was beloved by the local area, known as Keene, New Hampshire. Tonesfolk Folk, during the, the filming, he was even presented with the keys to the city by Keene's mayor in 1994. After his death in 2015, Keene residents crafted a makeshift memorial of flowers and candles below the parish shoe sign and even organised a public screening of the film. Yeah. Robin Robin has, hasn't had that effect on people. Like when he passed away in 2014, or, or August the 15th, I think something along those lines, he he just it was a shock to the world. Man of that joy. And this this podcast is dedicated to, to him, to to his ability to have this effect on people. So yeah, Jumanji and then Ron Williams told a story about filming the scene where Alan rests as a crocodile. He said that one <laughs> one take, he got a little carried away and he thumped the crocodile with his elbow, forgetting that there was a man inside the suit. He had a voice inside the crocodile yell, hey, in protest. Yeah, just again, the, the crocodiles, the lions, the monkeys, like you did what you did in the 90s and you had fun with it. And Robin gave a, a fun performance. It, it, Jumanji is what it is. It's just a fun film. For people to watch i think when i have kids one day if those kids see this film they'll just be like this is rubbish or maybe they won't maybe they won't realize how you know if you you only adapt to what you know you know you adapt to the environment of how good things are you know we just if we've seen animation that gets better and better and better and then you go back And you see bad animation. You're just like you either find it hilarious, or you find it just like look at it and go, "Ooh, (laughs) that's not great." (laughs) So, ah, this see, this is this is a film that like it's it's not necessarily a great film, but it is something that I do like. It has some some great lines in it. Jack, 1996. I said about it earlier. The idea of the film was that a grown a, it's it, it's a kid in a grown man's body so Robin plays this kid who grows at an abnormal rate and so by the time he's 10 he looks like he's 40 and the idea is that it's just he goes to school he meets new people and he tries to interact with the world for the first time, even though he's, he, you know, he looks like he's a 40 year old man, but he's got a 10 year old's brain, not necessarily received well by people. I totally understand that. I watched it when I was a kid. I thought, you know, as a kid and I've watched it as an adult and understand that it's, it's not a great film. And that's that's fine. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't have a place in his sort of. cat, You know, list of films, because there's a couple of lines in it that are really this special, you know, And one of, one of them is this. Jack says, I don't have very much time these days, so I'll make it quick. Like my life, you know, as we come to the end of a phase of our lives, we find ourselves trying to remember the good times and trying to forget the bad times. And we find ourselves thinking about the future. We start to worry, thinking, what am I going to do? Where am I going to be in 10 years? But I say to you, hey, look at me. Please don't worry so much. Because in the end, none of us have very long on this earth. Life is fleeting. And if you're ever distressed, cast your eyes to the summer sky when the stars are strung across the velvet night. And when a shooting star streaks through the blackness, turning night into day. Make a wish and think of me. Make your life spectacular. I know I did. I, know, I made it, Mum. I'm a grown-up. It's be- you know that that line said at the end of the movie, and it's Jack graduates from college. You know, I, I'm skipping a lot here throughout this film, but if you want to see it, go watch it. But the, that scene in the film Jack, it's like this idea of like we 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 take for granted what we have and. If, you know life at the moment you do realize you do realize how lucky you have it and how you know having a job in the first place having food to eat stuff like that in crisis we do remind ourselves like we want more we always want more but life's fleeting i think it's uh, in ferris bueller's day off he says life moves by pretty fast you don't look around once in a while you might miss it it's true Five years can go like that, and it it can you can do nothing in those five years, or you can have a billion different memories that you're gonna love. And it's really important to, to make those memories meaningful. And like Robin says in this, spectacular. Little fun fact: that's directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah, the guy who directed The Godfather, The Godfather Part Two, and Apocalypse Now. Crazy how we went from those films to Jack. That's mental, isn't it? It's like, hmm, you know what? I'm done with making the best films of all time. It's time to make something silly. A man, a child in a man's body. Madness, madness. And now we're going on to debatably either, like I've said, Aladdin or Goodwill Hunting as Robin's best performance of all time. Depends on how you want to see things as a kid. I'm more inclined to say Aladdin because it had such an effect on me as a, as a kid. But as an adult, Goodwill Hunting has had just an, as an effect on me uh, as an absolutely stunning performance that very few comedians, let alone actors, would be able to perform. So let's jump right into it, shall we? The very first day of shooting, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck started crying out of happiness because it was a scene between Robin and and Stellan Skarsgård, accomplished actors, doing Damon and Affleck's scene verbatim, and they had been waiting so long for this to happen. Five years. Like I said, five years can feel like a lifetime or it can feel like a fleeting moment. And for Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, the ability to get their script... Uh, sort of like put forward and done by a studio and have major actors like Robin Williams and Skarsbergard together just acting in a scene couldn't just like feel like overwhelmed with with emotion. Because for Matt Damon and, and for Ben Affleck this was like their first major project. And for the fact that they'd written this script and pushed it forward to studios and none of them wanted it apart from Miramax. The story behind that's kind of funny. I think I've got it written down here. In the script, they basically, when they were trying to find the right studio to to back the film, they put a love scene between the two uh, characters, uh, the two male characters of Ben Affleck's character, and Matt Damon's, in the middle of the script to see if anyone actually read it. And so they went through something like six different studios, who clearly hadn't read the script because they never made any comments about it until they went to Miramax, where Harvey Weinstein then—I know—not great that he picked it up, but nonetheless—said, "What the hell's with this love scene in the middle of the script?" And then they knew that he'd they'd actually that he'd actually read the script and they would get this guy to to make the film. You know, a couple of a bit of a double-edged sword because obviously Weinstein turned out to be a not very nice person, but. Miramax brought the film and brought it to life and would have the performances of Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, and and Robin Williams put together into one film and just blow us all away. With this kid who's a genius, who then gets has to go to psychological help because of his past experiences with being a, an orphan who's adopted by an abusive father figure, and he's going through the process of having to get through that as well as a relationship and also knowing that he's got to find a future with his intelligence and his ability to to move forward with that robin is the the psychologist who's trying to aid will in this sort of tough period of his life and in doing so he becomes like an actual father figure where he says it's okay well it's okay to be broken basically it's okay for it and it's not his fault and we have that scene where he's just trying to get him to release the emotion release it and then you've got the park scene where they're sat on the park bench and him and matt damon and robin are sat there and they're having this like not even discussion it feels like a bit of a lecture from robin's character who's saying, like, you tore my life apart just by looking at a painting. And I think that that scene alone, it just earns Robin the Oscar because he dissects Matt Damon's character as basically a silly little kid who attacks other people by using book knowledge and no life experience. And he, he says, but I'm fascinated by you as a person and what you bring to the world and i'm in basically and he's he's saying like you'll move but you don't want to open up to me because you're scared what you will what i'll find out and it's this beautiful scene where you've got the the boston sort of like common area behind them and they've got the swans and the river in front of them and it's just you know it's it's a beautiful setting for for the for the one of the best scenes I've ever seen. And you'd also see something just as brilliant where even though Robin plays a really serious character throughout this film, he has a beautiful scene where he's describing his wife's, why he loved his wife who passed away from cancer. And they're talking like, what do you remember about your wife? What, what the things that stick with you? and Robin improvises as he does. He says he talks about how his wife farted in her sleep and he and Matt Damon wasn't expecting it. And the reason why he's laughing the way he does in the film is because he's it's actually like made up on the spot. And, you know, he it's Robin being Robin playing that character and the ability to, to make that up and just, you know, in that scene ad lib and, and go with it and roll with it and for Matt Damon to just laugh and, and have fun. It's just beautiful that yeah there's a couple of quotes here that i'm gonna say so you're not perfect sport and let me save the suspense this girl you've met she's not perfect either but the question is whether or not you're perfect for each other and i know that's cheesy i get it like that's fine whatever but the point behind this is that we all have such high standards in life and i this was again i'm going to keep referring to the fact that this was made in 1997 and therefore still before you know, the early 2000s and late 2000s where it seems to be an over-analysis of how we do things uh, and the importance of sort of image. Let's just put it down to that. The ability for Robin's character and for Matt Damon and Ben Affleck to write this is really important because it bolsters this idea that we all have high standards in life and we all have this perfect idea of what we want. It's not really real at the end of the day. It's going to be a hard sort of struggle to to be able to get beyond that and to be able to live life for the real, says the guy in the corner. (laughs) So uh, the the end of the film where Matt Damon's character goes after the girl that he's fallen in love with, and he writes a note for Sean, who Robin plays, and he says, I'm about to go, I'm, I'm going to see about a girl, which is the line that Sean's character says about his wife. When they, they, he first met, her, he said, I'll, he said to his friends at the baseball game that he met the his wife at, instead of seeing the baseball game, he went and met his wife. And this beautiful sort of, we see it at the start of the movie where Robin tells the story and then by the end of the movie we're brought back to the idea that this is about love and love triumphs over the want or need for a career sometimes and that's okay and that you can move forward with that and it's beautiful it's a lovely ending and you just see Will, Will's character drive off into the sunset basically and go, go chase after Skylar it's brilliant it's quite it's, yeah, it's, it's very much so a excellent script, excellent acting, and all-round just fantastic film. And probably, you know, as an adult, the best performance Robin's ever done. So moving on to a controversial... Uh, well, not controversial, but a very different film to uh, goodwill Hunting. You've got Patch Adams. And so Patch Adams is where robin plays a wannabe doctor and i've you know again i keep skipping between the scenes before he wants to be a doctor patch adams is actually a sort of like not a victim but a person who's suffering from severe depression and severe wanting to kill himself basically so he registers himself in in an insane asylum basically and he sees people who are hurting and he sees how he wants to relate to them and the ability to to relate to them and he sees that they're not on their they, they the way to get these people to fix not to fix them but to help them he uses his relationship with them to be able to do so one of the, my favorite scenes in that is where he gets his roommate to be able to go to the loop he fights off imaginary um, squirrels with, with imaginary sh- and guns and machine guns. And he uses his ability to relate to his roommate to be able to get uh, the, the roommate to go to the loop. Something so simple, but at the same time, it's, it's causing his roommate to suffer and he sees that. And he, he sees the doctors who will look after them and they have like no empathy to the people they're looking after. And he said, he, you know, Robin's character is like, I'm gonna change that, I'm gonna become a doctor who cares. And it's perfect for Robin Williams to, to take on because it's a character who's fun loving and is against the flow of life, but is at the same time is doing something quite serious, being a doctor. And so he goes to university and he meets lots of different characters, quite serious characters. And he finds a woman he's quite serious with, who's serious with him and he's all jokey. And he wants wants her, and he goes after her. And it's the, the the whole story goes around how they fall in love, and it becomes quite sad in the end because she passes away. But the whole process is that Robin wants to be a doctor, and he does it in a controversial manner. But along the way, he gets friends, and he fights against the system, and it's quite it's according to the real patch adams it's not not true at all but it's exactly what robin williams does he takes a story and he stretches the truth clearly and but he makes it a fun story that makes it relatable to people and so in patch adams yeah he says you treat a disease you win you lose you treat a person i guarantee you'll win no matter what the outcome And that's like, he says stuff like that again, like your job is improving the quality of life, not just delaying death. It's these little lovely quotes that bring his character to life. He's not just cold and calculating like he's ill. Let's treat him for that illness. Who's him? What's his name? What does he do? Why is he here? There's so much of that in society now where it's just easy to label something and just be like yeah let's write them off done sorted easy like and sometimes it is as easy as that but sometimes life gets a little bit more complex during filming robin williams and the rest of the casting crew worked closely with the make a wish foundation to fulfill the fantasies of several children who were at the time undergoing cancer treatment the children (laughs) appeared with Williams in the scenes in the paediatric ward so the one where he puts on the red nose and he puts the pans on his feet and the aliens on his head and he makes them all laugh and he moves about and yeah man that's just that's beautiful you know when when death comes calling having life which is Robin in this case show them joy it's just, it's a lovely scene and it takes you away. The one thing about films for me personally is sometimes we need to get away from the harshness of reality and go into a fancy and, and lose ourselves for a bit just to be able to give ourselves a breather. And it's beautiful when you have scenes like that, that give you real emotion, even though you're watching a film, you know? So yes, that was 1998 and it was a beautiful, you know, it's a, it's a fun, loving film, Patch Adams again, the story's a little bit all over the place. It could be a little bit more conf- confined. And some of the, the characters you might question why are they in there? I mean, Patrick Seymour Hoffman was in there and it felt like his character was like kind of pushed to the side a little bit. So there was, yeah, because he plays like quite a main role in the beginning and middle of the film. But by the end, it's kind of like, eh, you know, we'll give you an extra scene and that's it. But that's just an opinion. That's, that's not fact. So after that, from 1998, he didn't... The next movie I'm going to talk about is like one of the last two, basically. The last two uh, films that Robin did from 2002 and 2005. Beyond that, he did do loads of films. I'm aware of that. But these are like the the ones that I remember him by. And personally, I, I like to talk about because they play a role one of them's a little bit silly the other one's quite serious and it seems to be a common theme since we've you know i've been talking about these films is that he's goes from one thing to another where he's serious silly and it's sometimes in between and sometimes that w- really works well patch adams is followed by insomnia where robin is a murderer in alaska in this place where there's sunlight 24 7. And you have Al Pacino chasing after this murderer who doesn't actually appear until 61 minutes into the film. So we only ever see Robin's, hear Robin's voice uh, until 41 minutes in. And it's quite dark. We, you hear his voice and it's quite stone cold. And he's, he talks about killing people and how easy it is. And he relates to Al Pacino's character because he says, well, you murdered this, your partner accidentally. Now you know how I feel. And it's this idea of the, the, the main character Al Pacino who's playing is fighting the urge to sleep. Well, not fighting the urge, but is unable to sleep. And they're fighting the insomnia that he's dealing with, with the, the light of Alaska. And at the same time, trying to pursue the murderer that is Robin Williams. And Robin Williams's voice is brilliant because it's, it's quite unnerving. It matches the, the smoky atmosphere that you see in the film and it provides us with this just daunting vibe that something bad's going to happen at every moment and you hear his voice and then there's the darkness. And so, yeah, there's that. And it's like every time Albertino's character tries to get to sleep, Robin's character rings and is there. And it's like when you're trying to rest, there is no rest for the wicked. Yeah, there's, there's this beautiful quote here uh, from Al Pacino's character where he says, You don't get it, Finch. You're my job. You're what I'm paid to do. You're about as much a mystery as a block toilet is to a plumber. Reasons for doing what you did? Who cares? <laughs> it's genius. It's, it's, it's so much fun. And this is directed by Christopher Nolan. And it's like one of the only films that didn't get an award by full Christopher Nolan's films. And it's still genius, it's still brilliant. And he goes on with to say like, you and I share a secret. We know how easy it is to kill someone, that ultimate taboo, it doesn't exist outside of your own mind. It's quite kind of beautiful, this idea of uh, Robin's character being able to relate to Alpertuna who feels pure and is the, the, the police officer trying to do good. And it's all round an unnerving performance from Robin Williams. Robin Williams would later say the isolation of the film on location in Alaska contributed to his falling off the wagon and drinking relapses while shooting this film, which is really sad to hear. But I understand because obviously there's sometimes when you're isolated and narrow, you do go into bad habits and that can happen. And to be fair to him, there there is that and i'm pretty sure from then on robin didn't i think he relapsed and then he got help and got from then almost sober for the rest of his life final film i'm going to talk about is robots the silliest film you'll ever see ever and robin plays a character called fender uh, which is a red robot who goes around town basically trying to fix himself over and over again. And he's a broken robot going, going over and over. And he's, I'm not going to go into the film itself because a lot of it is Ron Williams is a side character in it. And Ewan McGregor is the main character trying to fix robots and trying to do the right thing. And it's it's a just a joyous film to watch when I was a kid. I remember it. And there's this one scene in the film that I always remember. And I'll, I'll play the clip in a minute. But what he does say is um, they go to a party and they want to be able to communicate if there's ever if there's a problem. And <laughs> Ewan McGregor's character says, well, there's there's got to be um, a way for us to communicate. What kind of signal would you want? What, what's something subtle like, you know, whispering or something? And then Fender goes or oh, barks loudly like a seal. Um, or how about this? And then he very loudly goes, Caca! 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 Ricola! And then <laughs> Ewan McGregor's character just looks at him and goes, Subtle. Uh, and so I'll just play that clip. If anything goes wrong, we'll signal each other. What kind of signal do you want? You want something kind of subtle, like, Oh, you mean my phone Or, Oh, how about this? subtle let's get to work what did you think as silly as i made it out to be probably more so Uh, and that's that's my bad but nonetheless i will forever find that funny and forever love that film even if um, it's not one of robin's best it's just silly so now that we've finished all of robin's films and we've gone through his catalog of beautiful performances I want to end things on one of the last interv- one of the last interviews Robin ever did. 2011, it was with Craig Ferguson, probably one of the best interviewers ever I've ever seen. He is a man of mystery and confidence and he's a comedian himself and has the ability to make everyone smile as well. And the combination between these two in 2011 when they did the interview, it was Brilliant! It was chaos. It was madness. It was genius. These two brought their A game, and the producers on on the set couldn't do a thing. And they knew that this was not getting paid for anytime soon. <laughs> and Robin was just—I um, think he was promoting Happy Feet at the time. You know, another film. films, just I'm, I wasn't going to go through, but this promotion for it ended up making one of the best uh sort of interactions between a host and a guest ever and the whole thing I'm not going to play any clip uh, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to play the entire interview but I will play this one clip in a minute that is just brilliant and they're talking about naming a punk band and Robin says why don't you call it chlamydia because it's irritating and it doesn't go away and he was just going on about how, like, Chlamydia, your dad's here. And it's the idea that the punk band, are, like, not going anywhere. And they have this whole scenario. So I'm going to play the clip because I'm not funny. And so, well, not intentionally anyway. and And so I will not be able to recreate the hilarity that ensues. So here's the clip. My friends and I are forming a punk band, but can't agree on the name. What do you think we should call ourselves? <laughs> is it an all-girl band? Uh, yeah, let's say it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. say it is let's for the it. sake of argument. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't, I don't want to fight with you. A, if, no, if no, 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 you, you were in a punk band. Yes, yes, but they were, we, there weren't any girls in my But Well, you know, there was no... <laughs> How about Chlamydia? <laughs> That's good. It gives it kind of. It's, it's Greek, but at the same time, slightly uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I went to. I, very recently, I was no. in a bar in Scotland, in rural Scotland, and, I went, <laughs> and I, went into, I went into the restroom, and there was a sign up, right? One of these uh, public announcement signs in, in the bar, and, and it showed. Teen, it was a drawing of teenagers dancing, and, you know, about to have sex, and it said, Everyone's out and about, including chlamydia. <laughs> Your dad's here. <laughs> we parked the van out back. <laughs> we didn't know. I saw it in a medical dictionary and I named you. <laughs> Where's <laughs> your sister gonorrhea? Get over here, girl. <laughs> You're gone. Did you say? <laughs> I just remember. Did you say chlamydia? Your dad's here. <laughs> what? Did you say chlamydia? Your dad's here? <laughs> That's enough. <laughs> that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. That's the one you don't want to have over the loudspeaker. <laughs> chlamydia, my courtesy phone, chlamydia. <laughs> uh, uh, yes. What did you think? You know, that's chaos in every sense of the word. So like like Craig said, the stupidest thing ever. So I want to end on a positive. That was a brilliant clip. It's a brilliant interview. It's a brilliant, fun way to to look at Robin. And Robin passed away in 2014. And the world's never truly been the same again. There's no comedian out there from, from my perspective who's ever brought the level of performance, the joy, the serious and comedic balance that is out there. And... We'll forever miss him, but we will forever be able to look at his work and bring joy purely from that and his ability to show the world happiness can be achieved through film and through being on stage and being performing and making an of yourself for other people sometimes. And we'll end on a couple of quotes. You know, Robin said, risking to me is just trying different things. And the process of thinking you are great and someone comes along and tells you this is, is that you're not that hot, is the ability to move forward. Robin knew something we didn't, but it doesn't matter because we know now. This has been a Taylor's Tales podcast. This has been Chris Corner. I'm your host, Chris Taylor. As always, I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.